0: what do you most appreciate about the relationships you have in your life? What do you, what do you like about people? What is it that is, is special about that relationship to you? And when we, when we think about those things, we can oftentimes, the first list of things that we think about is, well, the people are interested in some of the same things that I'm interested in. They like the same kinds of food. They like the same kind of activities or music. That's obvious. But with those what those experiences give us is ultimately a sense of belonging and a sense of intimacy with other people. And that word intimacy has kind of been a little co-opted these days. I think it tends to equivalent nowadays more to sexuality. And, um, but the, the word simply means closeness. If we are in, in, if in an intimate relationship, it's a, it's a close relationship. And the, the word itself comes from Latin and it means to impress upon someone. Someone has, has been close enough to you to make an impression on you or for us to, to make someone familiar. We are, they are intimate to us. In contrast, one of our chief fears that we have is that we would be made fun of. Or we would be misunderstood or that somehow we would be rejected outright. That's scary. One of the ways that we talk about all of that is that we would feel like we are being judged by somebody, and we don't want to spend more time with those kind of people. Nobody wants to feel like that. And if you think that judgmental people are a problem in the world, I have news for you. Jesus does too. Jesus agrees with you. Uh, He had lots of interactions with people in scripture about this issue of judgmentalism. Uh, We can think about that he talked about humbling ourselves in prayer instead of having a self-aggrandizing prayer. Uh, There's uh, A woman who is caught in adultery, and he tells people, if you are without sin, you should cast the first stone. He takes particular aim at people who are hypocritically critical of others. Especially when it's pretty glaringly obvious that they have issues of their own. Uh, He asks a question that paints a little bit of a funny picture, but it gets there well. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Jesus asked lots of provocative questions like that. And we're in a series right now called Questions Jesus Asked. Jesus is the master question asker. And it's been already really great. I'm excited about some of the weeks that we have up ahead. And he he actually asked hundreds and hundreds of questions, but we've picked what we think are some of the key questions for us to be able to understand Jesus' perspective on God. And these questions are gonna help us to understand who God is a little bit better. These are going to help us understand ourselves and to see ourselves in a new light, and they're also going to propel us to action, to take a step, to move appropriately toward God, responding appropriately to God with all that we are. So in this series, we are going to be addressing these questions, and we're switching between different Gospels. I will tell you, the, the rationale for the order that we're going to be approaching these is more or less in the order that they probably happened in Jesus' life. So that means, we are actually, we've done three chapters, the third chapter today in Matthew, but next week we're going to be in John. It will switch between Gospels, but that's, part, that's just so you know, that's where, why we're doing that. So in Matthew 7, Jesus wants you to grow in intimacy with other people, and with other believers, with, with God, and to, to get past the masks that we wear in public, and to, to risk rejection. Because we want to go deeper, to be vulnerable at a level that matches God's grace. That's the aim of where we're going. Let's let's read. This is in Matthew 7. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 7. In your app. I brought my paper app today. Um, He says this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother or sister's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to clearly remove the speck from your brother or sister's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that we will hear your word today, that we will think about what this means for us today, for the people closest to us, for us ourselves. What does it mean for us to to take that plank out of our own eye? So Lord, I, I ask you to help us to engage well with what you have to say and have it of bother us a little bit this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. A a few years ago, there was a lady by the name of Mary Kondo. I don't know if you know about her. She made a name for herself uh, promoting her method of tidying up and and of simplicity. She said you should make your house as simple as possible. Uh, She had a TV show called Tidying Up with Mary Kondo. It became a sensation. It created a wave of cleaning and simplicity. You may have thrown out some things in your house, thanks to Mary Kondo. A lot of people felt super inspired by her. She was, she was inspiring, and it was inspiring to think that everything in your house could spark joy for you. It's wonderful. Uh, but she also kind of set the bar at an impossible level, where all of us felt like um, it's hard for a regular person to reach her level there. So it was not without some dark satisfaction for some people this last week. I don't know if you saw the, the article about this. Mary Kondo had her third child recently, and she reported that she has pretty much given up on trying to keep tidy. So the queen of clean admitted to reporters that her house is not so tidy anymore, and it feels good. I think people said, I, I, I saw one Twitter user, she said, I feel seen. Okay, hey, I love it. People, you know, people may have loved her methods, but couldn't help but feeling a little judged by her. She may not have even had a judgy uh, spirit about her. She may not have been that way, but, but people feel like it was just satisfying to know that Mary Kondo has faults. But hey, like, can we be real? When she says her house is not tidy, it does not look my like my house. Okay. It does not look like my living room. I am sure of that. Uh, but I, her weakness was exposed. Uh, she does have weaknesses, and it's not worth trying to keep up perfection if you have kids around. Uh, it's I. In fact, some I heard we had uh, one friend who told us she said I purposely try to invite my friends over when my house is messy. It, it's it helps people to feel like they can let their hair down. So, so what happened to Mary Kondo? She became human this week. She became relatable finally, and. It is impossible for someone to keep their house clean with three kids. Even Mary Kondo says so. And I want to tell you, it is impossible for us to get through life with a perfectly tidy life. So we don't have to pretend. If Mary Kondo can't keep her house clean, with kids, it's not surprising that you and I can't have our lives perfect either. We don't have to pretend anymore. And if we put into practice what Jesus teaches here, I want to tell you, you and I, we are going to become more relatable to people because nobody else is able to pull it off either. And for us to finally admit it is going to let people let their hair down a little bit. You are going to become more whole, but you're also going to have healthier relationships with people around you. You're going to have a a healthier, deeper relationship with God if you do that because you're, you're seeking with God's help. To, to remove these kind of garbage parts of our lives, that's fine. And But we, we're dropping the pretense that we are perfect. And it makes it's going to make you and me more relatable. Here's the kicker. If we are free to admit that we have messy lives, we, we don't have to pretend like other lives are perfect either. We don't have to be fooled by their Instagram account. We also don't have to... Uh, think that we never can challenge somebody else, that we can challenge other people in their own issues too and help them. Because people want to have friends who interact with them in a real way that help them to grow. They don't want to be judged by people, but they do want to be able to grow. So when we, I think when we face our real reality, we are going to have, we're going to have these deeper, better relationships. We're going to make. It's going to make our relationship with God necessary. It's going to help us realize that we need other people, too, in our lives. So Jesus, what does he do? He says, don't judge other people. Because why? Because whatever measuring stick you use on other people is going to get used on you. Ouch. And It kind of seems like the flip side of the coin of the, the verse that our kids are going to be memorizing this month. It says, do to others as you want them to do to you. Luke. Six, judge other people in the way that you want to be judged. That's what it sounds like to me. So that means, for you and me, that means, it means we want to be decent people, but we're going to do this not because we want to be decent people, but because we want to do what Jesus tells us to do, and we want to be judged in that way. To use the words of Eugene Peterson, he says, we can't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. So Jesus here, he is condemning judgmentalism. And we should be clear, though, uh, do not judge doesn't mean that we should never be able to challenge other people. And it can't mean that because just a couple of verses later, still in chapter 7, Jesus warns for us to watch out for false prophets. He says, watch out for that. So you can't watch out for something unless there is some kind of standard for something that is good versus something that's bad, something that is, that is detrimental. Uh, Or something that is beneficial. So we have, we admit that. So we do need to be aware, and we're gonna get to that a little bit, but we need each other. People do have specks in their eyes. You just can't point it out when there's something that's obviously that you're not dealing with. Uh, In another place, Jesus tells a parable. Uh, is a a parable is a memorable story that teaches a lesson and the the prayer it was about one guy's prayer was accepted and one person's prayer was rejected and the prayer that was rejected was a guy who was praying to God and basically said God I am a great guy you like people like me Uh, I'm really great and then at the end of his prayer he says and I thank you God that I'm not like this guy next to me right I hope we haven't started our day yet praying like that. Now, God rejects that kind of prayer. And that's what Jesus says. That, that kind of prayer is rejected. But there was a prayer that was accepted. The prayer that was accepted was the one who said, God, have mercy on me. I'm sinful. And Jesus says, that's the person who went home blessed, the one who went home forgiven. So we need to humbly acknowledge and turn away from our thoughts and speech and actions that are broken down. So if we apply this, I said earlier, this is going to improve our relationships. I think it will. As we do that, I want to say, as we're thinking about this, let's make sure that we're applying this to the relationships that are closest to us. These are the places where it's most likely going to come up. In our family, in our friends, in our workplace. These are the interactions that are going to be most likely where we're going to have these types of conflicts. And so the next time we have an issue with somebody else, even if they are doing something wrong, what we are, Jesus is saying is we're supposed to be able to acknowledge our own part of that. We need to examine our own actions in that conflict because the reality is it's probably not 100% their fault and, and 0% our fault. At the very least, maybe they've got 2% or you've got 2% and they've got 98%, right? And so we can ask for forgiveness even for that 2% of fault. Uh, one time... I was insensitive to my wife. Okay, it may have happened more than one time. It happened one time recently, let's say. Um, Happened more recently. So, um, what was great about this interaction is that um, my wife, Karen, uh, apologized to me for having used a a tone as she uh, apologized to me. I think that was probably about 2% of the problem, right? Somebody else needed to apologize for the 98% of how much he was insensitive to her. But I think she was applying Jesus' teaching here. She came ready to apologize for whatever part she had, which was not much. It was all on me, really. Um, So uh, I needed to ask for forgiveness for the bigger part. But she was willing to, all right, I'll own my 2%, whatever. Like, that's fine. And it made it a little hard for me not to apologize, to tell you the truth. So what would it mean for you to apply Jesus' teaching on this? in a conflict or in a challenging situation that you've got I wonder to not be judgy but to check yourself so that you will avoid bigger issues it does make me wonder for those of you who are about my age was ice cube quoting jesus when he said you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself <laughs> i did it jen i make that one i made that one in there there you go so we can challenge each other. We can challenge each other uh, when, that we need to live up to God's standards. And uh, we don't have time to go into it. The Apostle Paul actually says, when we do this, we are supposed to be challenging people in the church. That we are not supposed to actually judge people outside. He's like, hey, they're not, they're not believers. We don't hold them to the same standard that we live in. It's, the judging is not for that. If you want to look up those passages, it's in 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Timothy 3, so he says we should not judge people outside the church, but we can challenge each other. One writer puts it this way, he says, because conversion is real, and because Christians are new creations, when occasion requires, we love by reminding each other of the seriousness of sin, and with God's help, we push each other toward holiness. But I'll tell you what, I can handle it a lot better. When somebody does it, if they are willing to admit their own brokenness, that's just reality. I can handle it a lot better if somebody postures themselves in a way that they say, I need Jesus's saving grace in my life. And so, in fact, I want to say there are a couple of things that we're going to do there. We're going to have a couple. If we're going to talk to somebody about the speck in their eye, we need to be able to pass two tests, two tests. The first one is you're telling me this. Okay, got, you've got to be able to get past the test that somebody would say, if you say it to somebody, they're going to say to you, you're telling me this, right? This is when you do the same thing that they're talking about. Middle schoolers, I don't know if you know this. There is a little bit of a reputation for middle school boys in particular to have certain body odor issues. It's all right, you're adjusting to life. But also, they tend to compensate for it by overapplying some um, products Axe, in general, is the one that usually gets the blame for that one. Um, so, Jen Pemberton, is this true? Where are you? It is true. She says it's true. So, now imagine a situation where one of your middle school boys comes into you and says to you, she would, they would say, Jen, Mrs. Pemberton, teacher, 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 you put on too much perfume this morning. And you would say, you're telling me this? You're telling me this? Now, it may be true, right? It's a true thing. If that student came, though, instead in a different way, in a way of preparing, saying, listen, I, my mom has been telling me I've been putting on too much, I've been working on it, I'm trying to not apply too much, but I got to tell you, you got too much perfume on today. <laughs> You're going to be able to handle it a little bit better, Real, truth, reality. You're going to be able to handle it better because they're willing to admit their part, right? That is the reality. They, we are able to handle it a little bit more. And if they are telling you that thing, boy, it probably is an issue, right? If they're telling you, right? So, you need to pass the, you're telling me this test. You, right? The second one is a little bit similar, but it's going to point, when we're pointing out somebody else's issue, we need to be able to t- pass the, yeah, but what about test, okay? Yeah, but what about? So, maybe, maybe you've got a friend who's been drinking too much, and you, and you say, this is an issue. I, I don't want you to have this, and you, you, you've prayed about it, you want to do that, there is but you need to check about the plank in your own eye. Because if you come to that person and they say to you, yeah, but what about your problem with anger? Because you you yell at people all the time. I've seen it. It's terrible. Yeah, what about? It, it, it's, it's different. It, the correction about their issue isn't wrong, but the way that we approach it is going to look a little bit different. What does it mean for you to come to grips with your own issues? So the plank in the, Our eye doesn't have to be about the same issue. We've got a plank in our eye. And Jesus did the same thing. You know, he approached these guys called Pharisees. In their day, um, they, uh, they critiqued other people, but they really were trying to live in God's law. They were kind of the merry condo of personal lives, right? They kept their life clean. But the problem is, you know, the thing that they had is they were prideful. So it's easy for, for us to see that. You guys are being super prideful. How, why don't you take that plank out of your own eye? They had that pride. Everybody else could see it. So here is the secret. I guess this is the secret when you're coming to anybody else. Everyone's got a plank. You have a plank. I've got a plank. So the issue is it isn't like whether you've got it or not. In fact, you all probably have one in your hand right now, right? There were some handed out. We're getting to that. We have a plank, and we need to deal with it. So anytime we're interacting with other people, we want to act like we acknowledge that we've got it. I can't pretend like I don't have it. I've got a plank. And that's why Jesus' words are so powerful. It's not that there isn't anything to criticize about other people. It's that I know that I can't avoid the obvious things that there are to criticize or critiqueable in my own life. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Pay no attention to it. You're avoiding looking at it and not just noticing the issues. With this, Jesus says you're saying it to them, right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye. Like I could take it out for you. I can help you out. When all the time there is a plank in your eye. Like, hey, let me help you out. I got a thing there, you know? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And, and some of what Jesus is saying is, the person that is easiest to fool in the whole world is yourself. I can fool myself because, you know what, I know all the arguments that are going to work on me. I can be able to trick myself. I, I, can, I can do whatever I need to do to turn my own attention away from the things that need to be paid attention to. And, and I, I just don't want to see those things. And, and why don't I want to see those things? I, I don't want to see those things, I think, because I, I'm worried that if I show those vulnerabilities to other people, that I'm going to suddenly be unlikable or unwanted. or open for judgment. And, but here's the key thing. You are only going to be able to be as vulnerable as the level of grace that you think God has to offer you. That, that you, you only can be as vulnerable as, as powerful as you think grace is. And if you think that God's grace is small, then you're only going to be able to offer up surface issues to other people. But if you believe beyond that, to get beyond the surface level intimacy, if you believe that God has grace that is so deep that it can reach even to your inmost parts, then you're going to be able to begin to to think that your vulnerability can come out as well. And there is lots of grace. Ephesians 2 says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Really lofty language. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So it's no wonder that Jesus again and again, he speaks against people who pretend that they're better than other people because By pretending that we're better than other people, we're actually missing out on this life with God. We're missing out on the depths of life in communion with God to really experience his grace for ourselves. It's probably helpful for us to make a point here that Christianity actually is not a self-improvement faith, though. It isn't a self-improvement faith. And we can think, when we think about removing these things from our lives, we can start to think that maybe maybe this is the path that we're going to go on, where we're removing these proverbial logs from our eyes, and maybe we start to think that it's all about self-improvement. It is not a self-improvement faith. But Christianity is a repentant faith. To repent means that we turn away from our previous life. We, we embrace this new life that God has given us. Christianity is a repentant faith and an ongoing repentant faith. We, we turn away from the things that are part of our old life. The, the stealing, the lying, the, the sexual sins, our greediness, our drunkenness, anger, jealousy, and pride. I'm just taking those from a quote from Paul. And, and if, we, if we don't face those things, then it reflects on God. And it says something to the people around us. It makes outsiders wonder what Christianity is all about. If we're not able to see our own faults, uh, to use the phrase of C.S. Lewis, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. So our faith should be full of costly grace to the level of extravagance. But at the same time, we have this ever deepening call to have our lives reflect the new life that Christ has called us to. So we have this amazing grace to offer, and it's costly, but we also have this deepening, turning to life, and that's going to feel costly, but that's life in the Spirit, and it's turning away from what we had before. All right, I think we have arrived at verse 6 here says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You might have wondered if you read this and did this this week. You may have wondered, hey, what, is, what does verse 6 have to do with verses 1 to 5? Or even if it does go with it, it's, it seems clear that it doesn't go with the verses afterwards. So we can ask ourselves the question, you know, what is this saying? How is it connected to what's before it? Uh, this is going to help us a little bit answer a couple of questions. Help us get closer to this answer. What happens if you give a dog something sacred? They don't tend to appreciate it for what it is. Uh, They either ignore them or, I don't know, pee on them or something, I don't know. Um, And what would happen if you took your jewelry box of some of the jewelry that your grandmother gave you, and you take grandma's pearls, and you were honored to get to be the one who had inherited those, and you take them to the, I don't know, county fair. Where, where can you find a pig these days? Go to the county fair, and you find a pig. You go, these are for you, right? You give these to the pig. Well, well what's the pig going to do? Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe eat them, I don't know, or ignore them. Same kind of thing. Step on them, trample them. Uh, they're not going to treat them well, and that's helpful for us. They're not going to treat these things with the reverence or the, the value that they actually have. So I think if the lesson that we have from verses 1 to 5 is that we shouldn't be judgmental, then I think verse 6 tells us that rightly seeing a situation is different from being judgmental. It's really helpful. Rightly seeing a situation is different from being a judgmental person. Jesus is definitely condemning judgmentalism. But when he does that, he isn't forbidding all kinds of decision-making, judgment, discernment. We need to be able to rightly see what is happening and to make wise and good decisions. So we have to be discerning. Discerning, I just said that, is it means to correctly identify and make the right choice. Identify what's the situation and make the right choice. Uh, uh, we'll talk about her because she's not here. My wife works for InterVarsity. Um, it's a, there's a university student movement uh, called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I would encourage you to... In, Encourage any students that you know who are going off to college to be a part of a Christian fellowship. There's some great ones out there crew or navigators or uh, being involved in their churches or to be within a varsity. And uh, she was studying this very passage with some of her students at Moore Park College recently. And she told me that uh, they were reading this and that somebody said something to the effect when they got to verse six, he uh, said, Oh my gosh, Jesus is telling us, don't be stupid. I think that is exactly what Jesus is saying right here. That's terrific. Don't be judgy. Don't be stupid. Okay? The Bible is easy. Uh, uh, All right. All right. So what does this look like? I think it would be good for us to put a little bit of flesh on this. uh, So, for example, we we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are connected together. But I will say, not everybody here can handle the sensitive parts of your life with an equal amount of care. You need people in your life that you can be completely honest with. You need that. But not everybody can fit that bill. Okay, and it isn't, we're not calling them a pig or something. It's just like, we're just saying, like, not everybody can handle that. Not everybody, dogs aren't going to treat the sacred things the way they deserve, or pigs. And Otherwise, what does it say? They may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That it, it could be, They may not use those things in a good way. Um, Another example for wider church life, I'll say um, our Christian convictions tell us that we believe that everybody can be changed, that everybody's life can be transformed. We believe in that. It means you don't have to have everything figured out before you start here. You can start at zero. You don't have to know anything to start. You can be in whatever place you are. God is calling messy people. The more that we recognize that we're kind of a mess, the better. So we should start to even kind of expect it, right? We expect people to be messy. But we also have people who provide security outside, right? Uh, We we run background checks and have security protocols for our kids because we want to keep people safe. Jesus says, don't judge, but don't throw your pearls before pigs either. As I look at this passage, I just think God's word is amazing. Jesus teaches me stuff even 2,000 years later. I thought about that worrying stuff all week. And I hope that this plank and speck thing will get stuck in our minds. It's gonna hit, it hits us hard because Jesus is this master question asker. And he's going to keep asking provocative questions like this that help us see things different. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he's going to be more hospitable than we expect him to be. and He's going to be more challenging than we expect him to be as well. And it's good for us to try to live into that. And next week, Jesus is going to talk about our fears a bit more. It's going to be really great, and I hope you won't miss that one. So Jesus is calling us to this new life, this life that is full of grace and committed to generous hospitality. And because Jesus is full of grace but Jesus is full of truth and we are committed to radical holiness too. We're committed to those things. Committed to be people of generous hospitality and radical holiness for all of God's people. And you can't earn that yourself. It comes from Christ. We get that directly from Jesus himself that you can't do enough good deeds to be able to earn God's favor. What we do is try to live our lives in a way that conforms itself to the life that Christ has called us to. And that's as easy as it is to become a Christian. So we can give ourselves and say, Jesus, I want this life in you. I'm not there yet, but I need you. So we are going to move to the Lord's Supper here in a moment. But as you came in this morning, you were given this piece of Jenga wood. I don't think it's too hard for you to figure out that this is your own personal log. Uh And uh, as we're going to come to communion in a little bit, what I want you to do is, it's, it's an opportunity for us to all admit, we've got a plank in our eye. I've got a log in my eye. And what a beautiful place for us to do it is to do that as we come to communion, to say, Lord, I do have this, and I need your forgiveness. Because when we take communion, we are acting out the gospel. We're saying, Jesus fills us. I didn't do it to earn this, but I'm connected with all these other People who have planks in their eyes, Uh, we're going to do this together. What a beautiful thing for us to stand with people and put that in there together and to be surrounded by bringing our sin and brokenness before God, but hearing proclaim to us also the forgiveness that is in Christ. It's beautiful. We need that as well. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to help us to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with you, to see this plank that's there. To turn away from it and keep turning and keep turning because we live in a faith of repentance. May we be people who continually turn to you. We want to do that in, in, in ongoing ways, in practical ways, literally to take the Lord's Supper together and proclaim that we need you, Jesus. But to do that for each other too and call each other to greater faith. May you help us to not be people who are judgy. We don't want that as you see us clearly, you see me clearly, and you called me, even though you knew I had that stuff already. So may you give us strength today to live into the promise by your Spirit, to live into the promise, to believe that your grace goes all the way down in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.